So I would like to thank everyone for joining the Capital Markets uh, Panel. Uh, capital Markets uh, is one of the critical topics in the broader maritime uh, industry. Access to capital is particularly important for an industry that is capital intensive like shipping. And we have a great group of panelists with us, uh, major bankers who can take us uh, through the landscape. And of course, Ted Horton from Sheridan Kissel is going to be our expert moderator. So thank you, Ted. Thank you, Jade, uh, Doug, Krista, and Lolly. And uh, I'm turning the floor over to you. Well, thank you, Nicholas. Um, thank you, Nicholas. Um, and I will, um, I would usually start with a summary of where the capital markets are. I think, as you said, they are very important to shipping. Um, I think equally obvious right now is that it's, it does not take a lot of um, discussion to say what the status of those markets right now are. They're obviously uh, very challenged for shipping, um, particularly in the equity markets, um, in the absence of a few um, very particular types of equity transactions for small issuers, they're effectively closed. We may have seen a little bit more activity in the, in the debt markets, uh, particularly in, 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 in Norwegian markets, uh, but also very challenged. Um, what I was going to do was just to start with each of you um, with just a very broad base question um, and see what your views are is for what opportunities there are, if any, in the capital markets uh, and what opportunities do you see happening um, maybe in the next, say, five to six months to the first quarter of, of 21. Um, in no particular order, maybe Jay, I'll start with you because you're in my upper left corner. Sure, Ted. Uh, I think um, as you as you rightly pointed out, it's it's obviously been a pretty challenging time for the capital markets uh, in shipping, um, and I think clearly been further exacerbated by what's happened with the with the pandemic. Um, I think, at least as I think about where we are today, um, I think the the big question really is. Uh, whether there's any real motivation for shipping companies to actually raise any capital, certainly on the equity side, where in many cases they are trading, you know, well below their intrinsic value. And so I think we obviously saw a huge run up in the tanker uh, names uh, when we saw obviously the, uh, the impact of storage uh, and the contango impact. And so, you know, interestingly, even when the share price for those tanker companies were up, you know, the discussions we had, I think many were still uh, felt that they were generating so much cash flow that there was really very little need for them to think about raising equity. And now you've seen obviously a reversion back to uh, prior to the uh, run up. And so I think the, the bigger question right now is whether there's really any real appetite for shipping companies to actually raise capital today, unless they really have to. Uh, we've seen some opportunistic raises, um, you know, very, very few this year. Um, we've seen some of the capital really going more towards maybe on the renewable side. Um, we saw some capital being raised for, uh, you know, for wind turbine uh, installation vessels with OHT recently, uh, where they raised about 60 million. So there's, there's some very specific capital that is being raised, I would say, um, you know, that's sort of related to transportation, related to shipping, but maybe that might be more focused on renewables. Um, but I, I would say in general, as you said, it's, it's challenging times. Uh, I think there is certainly capital that can be raised, but I, I the sense at least I get from many issuers is that they really don't feel the need to raise capital and certainly not at these price levels. Do others maybe, Krista, do you want to? Sure. 
Sure, absolutely happy to chime in. So I, I think Jay's comments um, make a lot of sense. I, I agree with, with his commentary. So maybe just to add a couple of things, I'd say, first of all, the overall capital markets backdrop has been very, very strong. Um, if you look at what's been happening in the broader equity markets, which have you know recovered, and I think the overall uh, markets in the US are kind of up five to six percent year to date, having recovered from their lows in March. Um, you know, the indices in terms of the bond markets are at very low levels in terms of interest rates. And so what we've seen happen over the course of this year is a tremendous amount of capital markets issuance um, across other sectors beyond shipping. Um, so investors have been there to support companies through restructurings um, in other industries that we're seeing some challenges. Investors have been there to support growth capital. Um, but as Jay correctly says, for, for most of the shipping companies that are listed, they're all trading at such discounts to their intrinsic value. It doesn't make sense as a management team to be issuing capital in that backdrop. Um, we have seen um, you know, some IPOs get done in other markets. Um, so you know, we have been a part of an issuance in Brazil for a, a, a business called Hydrovias, which is a, a logistics business focused on barges and terminals under long-term contracts. Um, we took public Sovkomplot um, on the Russian exchange. And so you've seen pockets of activity um, in very specific situations. And, but I think that you know, to your specific question, as we look forward over the next six to 12 months, really a lot of the discussion for some of the listed companies in the US revolves around you know, how do I manage my liquidity, make sure that I don't get into a spot that I have to issue equity when times are tough, um, and, you know, should I think about things like share buybacks, which I think will be maybe a topic we'll all discuss later, that becomes a challenge in terms of the overall liquidity of, of some of these stocks. So, so really, I think it's just about navigating the current environment, thinking about things like consolidation, which I think will continue to be a theme um, of many companies in the sector as a way to drive differentiated value as well. You said, I think some of those issues we, we will hit later, just maybe, and, and continuing on this theme, but before, for Doug and Molly, before you answer, I mean, on the, on the buyback issue, um, and Jay, you were talking about the tanker companies earlier this year, and, and, and certainly on the bulk side now, um, on the rate side, there's, there's been, right? are these companies now getting, given where the stock prices are, and I think probably the desire from a lot of these companies to do something to get their prices up where they could consider raising equity, um, and maybe having some free cash, do you see that the buybacks are something that we'll start to see more activity on in the next few months? Doug, maybe put that one to you. Yeah, sure thing, Ted. Um, you know, buybacks make a lot of sense right here. Um, kind of echoing Jay and Chris's comments and, you know, just another measure of um, how um, poor the valuations are. So I was looking on Monday morning at our research analyst's um, price and asset value estimates. And right now, 26 of the 28 names that he covers are all trading at discounts and at asset value. And in most case, somewhere around, you know, 50 to 70% of NAV. Um, so it just kind of highlights um, the quantum as well as the depth of the discounted valuation that these companies are receiving. 
So, you know, it does bring up the prospect of buybacks and things of that nature, which especially in some markets, you know, dry bulk containers, uh, we've seen some companies announcing uh, increased sizes of their buyback programs where their cash flow generation is quite strong. Um, it, you know, buybacks do make a lot of sense. It's the right thing to do. Um, you know, the challenge of being in the CEO, CFO seat is there's a fine line as a publicly traded company between how much, how many shares do you buy back? I mean, theoretically, you know, you buy them all back and, and until you get back to net asset value. And if you have to take the company private, you do. But, um, but, you know, there's also the issue of, and it's a constant perpetual issue in shipping, is trading liquidity, volume, um, float, et cetera. And so, you know, you kind of have to potentially buy as much as you can because it is the right capital allocation strategy um, without, um, you know, damaging or reducing that float too much. But I do think you will see more, especially as mentioned, you know, we've seen uh, some companies in the last few days announcing a tripling of their buyback programs. It's the right thing to do if you have the cash flow to support it. Molly, do you have a view on any of those topics? Um, well, I think Doug's right. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that being said, um, just looking back many years and even decades, you know, <clears throat> um, I think a number of companies probably regretted the extent to their the extent of their buyback programs. And, um, with respect to being over leveraged, um, I think that's maybe a little bit less of an issue today. Um, and I think, you know, Doug and Krista hit the main point, which is, you know, which is liquidity. And, and so that, 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 that is the problem trading liquidity for, you know, a lot of companies. And, and so the question is, do you, you know, how much does trading liquidity uh, actually contribute to undervaluation and do you exacerbate the issue by trying to fix the valuation issue? So I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it is the right corporate finance um, advice, um, and yet in a, in cyclical industries, I, I don't know any CEOs who you know haven't been through you know periods of time where they wish their balance sheets were stronger. So um, I guess I'm a little bit more neutral on buybacks. Maybe Ted is the way I put it. And then on uh, you know on the overall markets, I agree with what everyone said, Jay on just intrinsic valuation and, and Krista pointing out that, you know, market backdrop is, is about as good as it's ever been. I mean, that's the, for equities, for convertibles, for bonds. And, 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 um, and so if, so that, that has uh, resulted in, in an enormous amount of activity, you know, in other sectors and, uh, and, and certainly, you know, we and others have been really busy in sectors like airlines, for example, and there's been a lot of market appetite, a lot of equity, you know, invested, convertible, invested, and then, you know, um, both high yield and investment grade bonds. And, and there, I, I do think is, you know, maybe it's a little, it's more of a bright spot for shipping companies to the extent that there's a desire and reason to tap bond markets, which have, you know, never never been that favorable for shipping issuers if you look across history but there are time or back uh, on history if you look uh, 
But if you look at where bond markets are today in indices, um, you know, I, I think uh, I think shipping companies could absolutely access bond markets at levels that, you know, are probably, you know, in the top quartile of attractiveness and coupon relative to where they, you know, where they can typically access. So, but then again, it's a question of should you, do you need to, and, you know, uh, if particularly if you have access to more competitive sources of debt capital. And, and Ted, if I can, if I can add to something that Lolly just mentioned um, on this topic before I know that we're going to switch gears into others, and you know, circling back to something Chris has said as well, I mean, markets are open. I mean, if we're talking about the narrow sliver of U.S. equity capital markets that is shipping, um, you know, that's where the challenge is. But you know, various products like as Lolly mentioned, convertibles, you know, bonds, et cetera. As Chris is mentioning, other markets outside of the U.S. I mean. Um, you know, either you can get creative or you can look at other types of products, other types of markets, um, because there are open markets. It's just, you know, once again, the narrow sliver of shipping equity capital markets in the U.S. is the one where we're challenged right now. Right. Well, and, 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 and keeping on this general theme, I, I mean, Molly, what you're saying is sort of against the, the backdrop of a, of a relatively broad, and I don't just mean to be U.S. equities, but in the broader markets, but a relatively strong market. So there, there's, there's something in, in shipping that's, that's making this, this challenging. I mean, we've been hearing for years that, that the, the consolidation is, is, is necessary. Some of these companies just are too small. They don't have the liquidity to attract, to attract the, the institutional investors and, and maybe the pricing as well. I mean, is consolidation, again, an old topic, but is that something that you are seeing happening or, or signs of, of beginning to happen in the market? Or are we going to be having the same conversation a year from now is that there needs to be consolidation, but not seeing much? Um, just to maybe, well, I'll stay with you on that one for a second. I mean, you know, consolidation, you know, could help, I mean, should help. Um, address some of these issues, particularly just fundamentally, like everyone has discussed valuation. You, you know, bigger isn't always better, but I think in shipping, you know, um, small has just, and very small has been, you know, has not been helpful. Uh, and, and so I think that, um, you know, in this case, in this sector, you know, there is rationale for more scale you know, and um, for better trading liquidity. And, uh, and today also balance sheets are not as challenged as they have been historically, where, and, and which made, I think, M&A very difficult, you know, and so I think M&A has been hard for a couple reasons. You know, at different times when it made a ton of sense, balance sheets were just in, you know, broadly speaking, across the board, terrible. You know they're 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 not terrible today, broadly speaking. Um, you know, and I think, um, and I and I do think that uh, shareholders, at least my senses, have become more philosophical about the value of control um, and governance. Um, but it's never been that easy to, <laughs> to get deals done in our industry. So I think there should be more, but um, uh, but. Uh, but I don't know, I, I, I can't really give you a sense that it's, you know, that we're on the cusp of a wave of consolidation, Ted. 
I would add to that. I, I think that's exactly right. Um, I, I do think that there will be more. It just it there there's many issues, whether they're governance issues, um, controlling shareholder issues, et cetera, that that can get in the way. Um, but but we've seen examples in today's market of how consolidation can help. Um, you know, there was a panel earlier on container markets, and it was comprised. Um, while owners of container ship owners, container ship leasing businesses. And when you look at the customer base of the shipping liners, the fact that the liners have been have been performing so well um, off the back of COVID is a result of, of two primary things. Um, one is the consolidation that has happened uh, in terms of the sector um, overall, and then some of the alliances that have been in, um, formed and then just the behavior in light of that consolidation in terms of, of how these players are competing for business. And so it's created a much healthier backdrop for those customers to manage through the times that we are in. And as a result, uh, they're earning very strong rates right now. The lessor companies are benefiting, et cetera. Now, the liner business is different than some of the traditional commodity shipping areas such as tanker, dry bulk, LNG, LPG, et cetera, because they've got a big logistics business. Um, and so some of the synergies that resulted um, are much greater. But you look at, look at the box leasing sector where um, the largest public player today went through a merger several years ago and has taken out a tremendous amount of G&A and has traded at a premium um, as a result to others in the sector since that time. So I think that you, you can see examples of benefits of consolidation driving differential shareholder value, both through um, improved results through the synergies, uh, as well as through valuations. And then, you know, to Lolly's point, um, it does help to offset some of the challenges just of scale in terms of access to capital, whether that's debt or equity. And it, it gives companies um, the benefit as they think about how they use their balance sheet, they have access to more options. Jay, would you agree it maybe it, it should happen, but whether it will is a different question? Um, yeah, so I, I think um, knowing knowing the colleagues on this panel, we've all had enough M&A discussions with enough companies that um, that could uh, that could we could probably write a book about it. Um, I think the I think what's likely going to happen here is um, there there are many I, I think there are some macro forces right now that we uh, are all aware of in particular related to obviously the trend towards ESG, which um, I think is becoming much more um, important, um, you know, really across the board and, and in particular as it relates to shipping. And I think it's actually going to be interesting to see how disruptive this may be. And I think that could actually present some opportunities, whether it's related to consolidation or, um, or frankly, you know, uh, companies realizing that they need to take action quickly. And so I think, I think if, if I think about sort of what has happened over the last five, 10 years, I think you've got companies that have benefited, you know, riding the cycle when it's been good, when it's been bad, but they've continued to ride the cycle. I think now we're going to face a situation, I think, where uh, I think many companies are going to be forced to, uh, figure out where they want to be three, five years from now in light of what we're seeing with respect to the importance of ESG. And, um, and, they, and I think that may actually result in some uh, 
you know, some real movement on the consolidation front. But it's it's a topic that we've spoken about for three, five years, and it's uh, there's always been some challenges whenever we discussed it. And uh, this might be the this might be the kick that kind of starts that potentially with respect to what we're seeing on the ESG front. Thanks, Jay. And I mean, that's a good, that's a good transition into that topic of ESG. And um, I mean, which is not something that's been around for as long as the, as the topic of consolidation, but I think it's, it's, it's either moved or is quickly moving into the having a robust ESG policy is, is a nice to have versus must have, at least if you're looking to get sort of institutional um, in, investor base. And it's something that shipping is no, I don't want to say it's been late to the game, but it's we're starting to see that, but it's not been around for a long time. I, I guess, Doug, to you, I mean, would, would you agree that it is now in the must-have category? And I think it's not just the E, which I think a lot of the sort of the industry is focusing on, but also on the, the governance front as yeah. well? I think the short answer is yes. Um, it is a requirement. Um, you know, uh, a lot of focus on the E, but the S and the G, I mean, the G has been an issue for a long time in, in shipping and, and, you know, we've, um, as an industry evolved and, and, you know, improved on that front, but all are important. Um, you know, even though there haven't been a ton of, uh, equity capital markets transactions in the U S Chris and I worked on one late last year. Um, and in the majority of those meetings, um, you know, ESG was a topic. So, you know, using that as um, kind of like uh, the last instance of of, uh, of me being in front of investors uh, in the U.S. looking for um, to deploy equity capital, it was top of mind. Um, and and I think um, we've only progressed further since then. So you know, I, I said at the beginning, a short answer is yes, um, and and um, and expanded a bit. But uh, but but it, it is. It's only going to become more important. It's not going away, um, and I think companies that embrace, um, you know, ESG um, principles are, are going to be um, quite simply, um, you know, not only um, more investable, but um, but you know, it, it's just going to simply be a requirement. If you don't have that, you're going to be um, hampered. I'm, I'm, we, I have on my screen. I have the I have the participant questions that come in, and I don't think all of these are. Some of them are specific to to companies, and I don't want to ask those particular questions. But there's definitely a focus on uh, I think the governance issues um, as well. So it's it's definitely on on investors' minds. Um, I, well, I just put it to you. I mean, ESG. Would you, you you agree that this is this is the world we're in now? We have to have this. I think so. I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, it, uh, it's a theme, you know, um, in trillions of dollars of, you know, money under management today. And so I think that, you know, it's, uh, it's, I think it's absolutely necessary. I think D Doug hit it on the head, which is you've got to embrace the principles. And, and that's a lot of what investors are looking for right now is they are looking for you I mean, they're not looking for shipping companies or airlines to say they're going to cut their emissions by 50% in, you know, five years. That's not realistic, but they are looking for, you know, I think true, you know, conviction around, around all, you know, all three of these areas and a path to improving, you know, on all of them. And I think, you know, it's hard enough to attract equity institutional you know, equity investor interest in the shipping industry. I think if you are going to ignore 
you know, or, or, you know, come in in the last quartile in this, these categories, you're just going to make it harder on yourself. And so I think you have to, you know, lay out a plan and, and, um, so yes, I, I, I agree. And I think, um, you know, Doug was also, you know, governance is something which, you know, I think is, um, you know, governance is an area where the industry can and should, you know, um, continue to, to clean up its act. And I think, um, you know, a lot of participants have been, well, I'll, I'll share an anecdote, which is one of the, you know, one of the largest institutional investors in this business in the last decade, I was, I was in a, I was in a roadshow meeting with them and a management team asked them, well, why, you know, why do you invest in companies that have these sort of misaligned incentives? And he said, you know, it's a great question. And the truth of the matter is that when the market is robust, you know, we look past them because, or maybe not me, but investors look past them because there's just so much momentum, right? But the issue becomes when, you know, when that momentum isn't there and we haven't seen that momentum in our industry in many, many years, you know, they become a real highlight and a real handicap. And, and so, yeah, I, I agree with, with Doug. I mean, that's, that's, that's definitely an area where, where, where the industry can make progress and, and needs to. Chris, do you, I assume, have a, a view on that? And, and, and maybe also just, is there, is there a distinction between the equity markets and, and maybe on the, the debt side where we've heard more about sort of green bonds and um, maybe on the lending side, sort of the Poseidon principles, or is it just really across the board now? Sure, I think that's a, that's a good question. Um, I, I think it's across the board in terms of investors caring about ESG as a must-have. As you think about our investors investing specifically for ESG reasons, um, I would say it, um, investors on the debt side, at least in, in shipping, are, are head of equity investors. So um, on the bank side, you mentioned Poseidon Principles, um, which is basically a group of banks that have gotten together um, and are adhering to a set of standards in terms of self-reporting um, certain metrics um, across, across our portfolio. Um, you've seen several examples of companies announcing bank financing that is ESG linked, whether that um, is linked to the different KPIs or whether there's you know, triggers that might incentivize them. Um, so there's lots of different ways that you can envision structuring bank debt um, and really tailor that to how, how a company wants to think about ESG. Um, and then on the bond side, you know, that is really where, you know, there's lots of institutions out there that are governing kind of definitions of green bonds for the purpose of helping institutional investors decide, you know, what can they invest in that's a true green bond. Um, less developed for shipping, um, you know, there's been things that have been marketed as green bonds and some of them I'd say are more towards the light green shade of, of what investors would consider true green um, so I think that's really a developing area for shipping, um, but certainly one that is is to come. I would say, you know, in 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 some of those instances with fixed income investors on the bond side, um, it has been something that has has started to differentiate, but I would say has not yet driven, you know, really differentiated pricing from from what we've seen. Um, so I think that that's to come. Um, and then on the equity side. 
um, a bit harder to say that there's any you know true ESG investors coming into shipping. But again, thematically, it's something that investors care a lot about. Um, certain sectors such as LNG are more oriented towards that than others. Um, but as equity investors are thinking about how management teams are managing an ESG policy, they care about it across the board. You started sort of on ESG, but anything you wanted to add to that topic? No, I think um, I think we we covered it, and I think it's it's just um, understanding that this is becoming obviously a very uh, important piece of the puzzle. I think um, when we talk to investors, I know I know no one really comes on to these conferences to hear the lawyers speak. To to your point, you know, I think we are seeing on 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 the legal side, we are seeing um, institutional investors who are in some of these shipping companies still come to to various issuers and ask for. Um, you know, disclosure items related to environmental issues. So even, even for the existing issuers, we're certainly seeing that this is on their, on their minds. Um, you know, I, Doug, with your point in mind is that there, there, there are certain avenues to, to, to capital markets that are available to, to people, but, but generally on the view is that the, what we consider the sort of the broader capital markets are, are challenged here. Um, and given where some of the equity prices are, this seems like it would be an opportune time, at least in, in prior cycles, to have private equity or other sort of alternative capital sources coming in. Um, do, you, do you see that happening in, in, in this current market? And, and if so, I think, you know, is, are they coming in sort of the same way they would have maybe during the end of the financial crisis? Or is it coming in looking for a different product than just the straight equity? Yeah, um, Ted, good question. Um, you know, there is alternative capital available. It doesn't look like it did after the financial crisis where everyone was trying to buy the bottom of a cycle um, and, and, you know, ride the cycle higher. Um, I think um, a lot of those um, private equity uh, firms um, either got burned or, or you know, they, they just lost patience. Um, so, so at least from our perspective, you're not seeing a lot of those types of guys out there uh, willing to provide um, you know, alternative uh, sources of capital. But what I do think you continue to see, um, and this is in addition to some of the alternative markets outside of the U.S. And, and, and whatnot that we spoke about a bit ago, this is just, you know, simply private capital. Um, you know, there is a lot available, um, whether it be in the form of infrastructure funds, still seeking to deploy capital and taking liberties with what is now known as infrastructure um, just because of the lack of available financing opportunities that they see. Um, and, and so they're broadening that definition. Um, and then also, you know, with, um, you know, you're also seeing uh, financing availability with certain degrees of structure included. Um, so now whether or not some of the, the pricing is attractive enough for uh, for some of the owners um, seeking capital, that's a altogether different uh, question. Um, but you know, to answer your question, yes, it is available still, um, either in the form of structure or you know something with some sort of um, return, a guaranteed return to it. Uh, but it does not look like it did uh, in the early 2000s. In fact, I think you'll uh, in the early 2010s. Uh, in fact, I still think that you will be seeing some of those guys seeking exits rather than deploying additional capital. But that's what we're seeing. Does anyone else have a view on, on 
Tara, I'll, I will um, move on. I mean, one, one of the topics, this is changing gears, but one of the topics, so, so much discussion right now, at least in the US markets, is on SPACs. Uh, we certainly get incoming inquiries, both for those looking on the sponsor side and as a possibility from, from capital as, as, as targets for shipping. I mean, it, it may be an easy answer if, if, if you can't raise equity in the, in the typical markets, let's say it's not gonna be any easier to do it through a SPAC. But again, I would just open that up. Is, it, is, is SPACs, do you see any opportunities in there for, for shipping? Jay, maybe start with you. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, we, we clearly have seen an explosion with the SPAC market. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because this, this market was really not as well known um, and was, I don't think was considered necessarily mainstream, but now it's clearly mainstream and it's clearly, uh, everyone is, is trying to raise a SPAC. Um, uh, I start to get concerned because it feels like top of the market to me when I see celebrities and others raising SPACs. Um, but uh, putting that aside, I think the, many of the SPACs, at least we've seen, have been really focused on sectors, let's say, like technology or healthcare or entertainment or other sectors. I, I, I haven't seen a lot um, that are focused, let's say, in the, um, in the shipping space, particularly. Uh, I do see some that are more focused, let's say, on renewables. And so that's, that's something that we have started to see a little bit of. Um, but as far as I can see, I'm not sure that I see a SPAC necessarily being a real option for, for shipping companies. And, and again, I go back to the point, this is obviously related to taking companies public. Um, I'm, you know, there's a pretty limited number of shipping companies, I would say, that are private today, very few, that clearly have the scale, the size, the operations, et cetera, that would, you know, be well received in a public market. So we're really talking about very few handful, you know, handful of companies that, that could fit that profile. Um, and so I'm not sure a SPAC is necessarily relevant for, for them. Yeah. And, and Ted, if I can add, um, you know, it is a path towards going public and you need to have a public private ARB. Um, the problem is right now the ARB is in the opposite direction. Um, so it just, uh, it, it just doesn't work right now. Do you have a different view? Yeah, I, <laughs> I think Doug took the words out of my mouth. I was nodding as he was saying, I mean, that, that's the problem is that there's no, you know, there have been ARBs, historic, you know, there have been ar arbitrage opportunities in the, in the past. And that's why you saw some SPACs, you know, get launched and actually get done and de-SPAC'd over, you know, over our history, the four of us as bankers in this sector, but, but the conditions just aren't there today, you know, whether as Jay says, you know, is there a must own or as Doug says, is there a clear, you know, is there a clear momentum or just frankly, you know, um, you know, are we in an attractive valuation point for the industry? And, and the answer to all three of those is unfortunately, no. Uh, so I, I, I agree with both of them. It'd be fun to do a roadshow with Shaq, though. I think he was, I think I read he was launching one last week, I saw. So, as you said, Jay, that might, might be a good sign that it's the beginning of the end. That was interesting. Um, I, one of the, again, I, I, a number of questions are coming up, and it's, it's really, uh, I think it's, it's not specific questions, but it's coming back to this topic of, of 
you know, what, what should these companies, and I think we addressed this in the, in the outset too, but is there anything that these companies can or should be doing to try to get the valuations higher than where they are? I mean, the, the buybacks may not be the answer. Maybe it's going to be consolidation, but is there anything else that if someone's coming to you and asking to you, what can I do? Are there any other opportunities? Um, I, maybe I'll start. I mean, it, it's, it's very hard to answer that question generically across a sector because it, of course, comes down to the specifics of any of any given company. Um, but I would say, you know, when you when you look at the spectrum of public companies, what should I do? How do I get my valuation up? I think that the first step is really to take kind of a realistic assessment of what are the hindrances to value. And some of the hindrances to value uh, may be technical in terms of companies having low trading liquidity, um, being small, being in a sector that's very crowded, uh, which then gets to the next element, which is where are all the sector peers trading. And realistically, you know, your, your valuation by investors is being calibrated by the rest of the sector as, as they make investment opportunities. Um, and so, you know, then I think it's, it's asking the question, you know, why am I public? Um, does my public currency present a benefit to me as a company? And, and maybe for some of the, the smaller companies, there's a benefit to being publicly listed for your debt um, in terms of transparency to your shareholders and, and having the optionality to be issuing at some point in time. And you're not really looking to use your currency. Um, but if, if you're looking for the access to equity, I think it's, it's important to be realistic around, you know, some of the elements that it takes to be successful. So there's not a one size fits all strategy in terms of how to fix valuation. Um, this is a tough sector in the public markets, which is why, you know, shareholders are just focused on balance sheet strength, ESG, um, how is a company differentiated? And so there's so many elements that play into a company's valuation. Uh, that you then really have to customize the answer from there. I see that Nicholas has joined us again, which is probably to tell us that we're running out of time, but maybe just one uh, sort of one ending question. Uh, maybe, I don't know if anyone wants to jump on this or not, but I mean, do you, given, given the impact of COVID on this, given the fact that we've seen certain sectors that have done very well throughout the cycle, whether it started as tankers and now dry, I mean, in, in the short answer, do you have any views as, as maybe where, who, who at the end or who at least will come out of this first, maybe with an, with an opportunity um, to go back into the, to the markets? And if you really want to go out on a limb, when, when that will happen? Doug, you were about to say something, I'll start with you. Yeah, sure thing, uh, Ted. You know, I think over the intermediate term, this could prove to be a positive for the sector in general. Um, and what I mean by that is sure there is, you know, a disruption to trade and economic growth, et cetera, in the near term. But the uncertainty um, about what will the world look like in a post-COVID world, you know, if I'm a ship owner thinking about ordering a new ship, um, you know, you already had a lot of technological uncertainties as it relates to different types of fuel emissions, et cetera. But, you know, you already had order books that were at multi-year, multi-decade lows. And now you haven't seen much in the way of ordering, um, you know, and, and that's only going to get pushed out. And so to the extent that, you know, the sector was, you know, overall was hopefully positioned for a recovery, um, you know, perhaps this could uh, extend the duration of that recovery if the uncertainty um, does lead to, in fact, continued further uh, limited ordering. 
Um, you know, the demand, I mean, we were seeing, you know, container ship rates, Krista mentioned, you know, and the liner business, which is, you know, combination of, of improvement, but also uh, the benefits of consolidation. You're seeing, you know, containers, you're seeing dry bulk, um, all, you're seeing LNG, um, all starting to uh, improve. Tankers obviously have not. Um, but, you know, it's, it's that supply-demand balance. And, and if supply remains in check because of the uncertainty related to people just not knowing what to do, then that could only benefit the entire group. And if you don't mind me thanking everybody, is that okay, Ted? Unless somebody else has uh, something to add quickly. Nicholas, I'll, t I'll take your cue on that and we will end there um, and, and thank everyone uh, very much. There's obviously more to say, but we understand right away. Thank you, Ted. Thank you, Krista, uh, Doug, Jay, and Loli. Another great panel. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ted. Good to see you guys. Yeah, take care.